Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. For the Spirit of God... God, sorry, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if, you're, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us... What will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And, if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. May God bless his reading from his word. Great. Thanks, Karen, very much. So we're... Moving our way through the book of 1 Peter, which is a letter that was written to Christians uh, a few decades after Jesus lived, died, and rose again. And he writes this letter to encourage Christians at a time when things were getting, frankly, pretty tough uh, to be a Christian. Sometimes we might think it's tough to be a Christian, but these early Christians were properly under pressure, they were being persecuted, their friends and family were being killed simply for owning the name of, uh, of Jesus. Uh, and we read these words uh, that help us hopefully make sense of, um, make sense of what Peter's trying to say. Give me ten seconds, maybe nine or eight seconds. There we go. Okay. Uh, and he, he writes about not being surprised. Do not, do not be surprised that you're suffering for being a Christian. I don't know about you, but when I suffer, very tiny, small s for being a Christian, nothing compared to what these guys were facing, sometimes it takes me by surprise. Uh, and I feel a little annoyed and frustrated and wish it was different and somehow wonder if it's all going wrong in some way or another. Do not be uh, surprised at the ordeal that has come upon you, as if something strange were happening to you. In other words, there is for the Christian a new normal, and the new normal for the Christian is that there will be times when it feels like things come against you, not just randomly for any reason, but particularly because of your faith, because you stand up and say, I belong to Jesus. We act surprised, or perhaps if I personalize it, sometimes I act surprised or frustrated or annoyed or upset or discombobulated. What a great uh, word that is. Um, simply because I'm very small s suffering because of my association with the name of Jesus. And maybe you can recognize that 
too. But for many people around the world, and maybe this is just a reminder to us this morning as we get to this part in the letter, for many Christians around the world, the suffering for owning the name of Jesus is, is kind of unimaginable. And you can uh, take your own time to explore that a little bit. Just Google Open Doors or Open Doors UK and it will open up literally doors to a world of what Christians are facing not a long time ago but here and now in our world. So maybe I feel like there's a reverse challenge in this for me. And the reverse challenge in this for me goes something like this. If I've not faced a hard time for being a Christian recently, I should in biblical terms regard that as weird and wonder why not. If I've not faced something difficult for standing up for Jesus in a while, the Bible would remind me that I'm the weird one and cause me to ask the question, why not? Suffering for Christ, it's not a surprise. Suffering for Christ, he goes on, is a reason to be glad. Rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. In other words, there's a, a correlation, a relationship between participating in Christ's sufferings and rejoicing. In other words, the, the greater your participation in the suffering, the greater your rejoicing. That seems back to front to me, does it not to you? You would imagine it to say the greater your suffering, the more sorry we will feel for you. But he says, no, the greater you suffer for the name of Jesus, the greater you can rejoice. At first glance, that sounds weird. It seems insensitive. And you wonder what is going on here. But maybe as the words of the letter unfold, it helps us to understand. Suffering for Christ is a reason to be glad because, thirdly, it will be fruitful. It will be fruitful. One of the stories that unfolded in the early church was that the harder they were pressed, the faster they spread. The stronger the opposition, the greater their influence. There was a moment in the history of the early church when something happened that must have humanly shaken them to the core. It would if it was us. When one of their leaders was martyred, killed for his faith. It was the first one. His name was Stephen. It had never happened before. You imagine one of our number being facing something like that for their faith. That would rock us as a church to the core, wouldn't you agree? You know, one of us. Look around. Friends, family. One of us. And that's what happened. And you could imagine the whole thing unraveling. What would we do? We would tiptoe quietly to our homes and close the door and hope the whole thing would go away. And yet the Bible tells a story that from that moment, the people of God were scattered and in scattering, they gathered a new boldness and they gossiped or preached the gospel wherever they went. And it says the word of God spread faster than it ever might have imagined. As the screws were turned, so the sense of fruitfulness increased. And you get numerous examples of that. Polycarp was a, a famous uh, bishop martyred for his faith uh, several years later. Uh, and there's this little giveaway comment that the conversation about his martyrdom spread amongst the heathen. 
In other words, there was something about that moment that ricocheted a fruitfulness amongst those who had not discovered the joy and wonder of Jesus for themselves. And in fact, I guess we might see a theme emerging as we look at Jesus himself. Who would have thought that if you nailed a man to a cross, that we would be here today? Who would have thought that one seemingly inconsequential death would have such a global impact with what? Two plus billion people today claiming to own the name of Jesus. Suffering for Christ, it will be fruitful. If you are insulted, it says... Because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. Why are you blessed? For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. You are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. There is something about the way these Christians faced persecution that showed, that demonstrated the blessing, the anointing of God on them. And that's true for Jesus. Remember what happened to Jesus? A centurion that had, that had killed hundreds of people, we might imagine, that had seen many people crucified, looked and saw the way he died and said, surely this man was the Son of God. And when we suffer for our faith, people are watching what comes out of us. When we go through difficulties, people are observing what difference does it make to belong or to own the name of Jesus. And what we see in the Bible and through church history ever since, there have been these amazing moments when Christians have been put under pressure and all that has come out is the love and grace of Jesus. And that moment of testimony, of witness, has been one of the things that has most impacted people for the gospel over the centuries. When we go through tough stuff for Jesus. People are watching and that journey will be fruitful. But also suffering for Christ is something that you can be glad about because it will finish. Isn't that good news? It will finish. This is just a part of the journey, not the ultimate destination. And a constant biblical theme is, this is the reality for a little while, and then. This is what you go through now, but then you will go through the glory, the wonder, the marvel of eternity. And in fact, Peter himself emphasizes it. I know we're jumping ahead to, to the next chapter, to chapter 5. And the God of all graces who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while. The glory of Christ... After a little while. And exactly the same for Jesus. For the joy, it says, set before him. For all that was coming, he endured for a little while the reality of uh, the cross. So suffering for Christ is not a surprise. It's a reason to be glad. It it's, it's, creates the most fruitful, fertile moments 
for Christian life and living in terms of the gospel. And it will finish. And finally, Peter ends the section of this letter with this. You will know that God is faithful. There is nothing like going through an ordeal for Christ that helps remind us and recalibrate our reality that God is fruitful. And so we have this remarkable reality that as people have suffered according to God's will, as they've committed themselves to the faithful creator and continue to do good, as Peter writes to those early Christians, the impact has been remarkable. And you would imagine, wouldn't you, that when you're going through the toughest of times, that your discovery would be that God isn't faithful, that God isn't present, that God isn't available, that God isn't near. That's, that's what you would expect people's testimony to be. Because if God was present and if God was near, surely they wouldn't be going through that in that way. But in fact, quite the opposite has happened, not just over the years, but quite the opposite has happened in our own experience. That as we go through the sharp end of life, our faith gets strengthened, uh, strengthened, Our faith gets encouraged. Our faith becomes more real. Our faith becomes more alive. We have a deeper awareness of the reality of God through the tough times rather than through the blessed times. And setting up this letter at the beginning of it in uh, the first chapter, uh, Peter writes about that, about the way faith is proved genuine. Faith gets refined and becomes richer and stronger and more remarkable when we go through stuff than when we're just wombling along. Uh, and that's the, the story, isn't it? That's the story of the, uh, of the whole of the Christian journey. That it's better to be with God in the fire than out of the fire altogether. That it's better to be with God at the water's edge, ready to cross the Jordan with Pharaoh's chariots coming behind, than to still be in Egypt. That it's better to be with God in the storm than it is to stay on the boat. God is faithful. And I want to take the truths that we've just been talking about and extrapolate them out for a few minutes. And to be honest, what I'm about to say feels like the heart of what God wants us to hear uh, this morning. The rest of that was just an introduction or an excuse to get there or something. So we take those things that we've thought about And ask ourselves a different question. You see, for for many of us, what's really burning in our hearts is not that we're suffering for Jesus, frankly. It's just that we're suffering. It's just that we're suffering. And and for, for some of us, that suffering just seems empty and mindless and senseless and pointless. And we can't make sense of it all. I'm suffering. I'm just suffering. And as we read 1 Peter, when he was talking particularly about people suffering for their Christian faith, some of those realities that we've just talked about are true for us if we feel like we're just suffering today. So some perspectives 
And we're all in different ways suffering today. You might be at a 10 today. You might be at a 1 today. But tomorrow that might be reversed. Are you with me? Firstly, it's not from God. It's not from God. It's not from God. Our our minds go there instantly because we're desperate for someone to blame. And we can't wait to blame someone because we think that blaming someone helps us process it. It just makes us bitter, actually. It's, It's not from God. You see, sometimes we see cause and effect. So what we can see in normal life helps us to understand what we can't see. So if I thump you and you are hurting, it's very clear why you are hurting. There is a direct cause and effect. But in this world, there are so many ways in which we feel like we're suffering and we're hurting and it's not fair and it's not just and we can't quite go A plus B equals C. But what we can recognize, what we can recognize is that there is a cause. And the cause behind the suffering that you and I endure is the fact that we live in a broken world, a world that we've broken. And we're so quick to blame God and cut us off from the very person that can help us make sense of the suffering that we are going through. And this is not a new question. They asked Jesus that question. They said to Jesus, do you know that natural disaster or do you know that that issue that happened? A tower had collapsed and 18 people had died. And the people were going, well, why did that happen? Why were those people uh, uh, suffering? In fact, they were saying, those 18 people, they must have been very bad for God to cause them to suffer in that way. And Jesus addresses it. He says, you've got it all wrong. That's not how it works. All those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living? No, not at all. We live in a world that's wrong, that's broken, that's unfair, that's, that doesn't work the way it should be. But God, consistently from the beginning, has been about coming alongside us in that suffering. Think about Jesus and all that he did. What, what, he, he touched the person that felt untouchable. He healed the blind eye or the lame leg. He gave hope to the person that was on the margins and feeling dejected. Jesus did every action to reach out to us in the midst of that for which and from which we suffer. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus said, referring to himself, quoting the Old Testament from Isaiah, no less. Because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. When we think that God is the one coming to somehow inflict stuff on us, we have not only totally misunderstood, but we've cut ourselves off from the very one who longs to come to us in our suffering. So I'm just suffering, I don't understand it, it's making me mad, it's driving me absolutely berserk, I I don't know where to turn. This is where we turn. God 
is closer than we think. Closer than we ever imagined. God is close, it says, to the broken hearted. And saves or rescues those who are crushed in spirit. In the message, it translates it in a lovely way. If your heart is broken, you'll find God right there. If you're kicked in the gut, he'll help you catch your breath. His presence makes a transforming difference in our lives. We had a dog some of the time. Most of the time we lost it and then we had it again. Then we lost it because it would run away. And uh, one December evening it had run away across the fields of Finn Valley. And uh, we're going looking for it because that's what you do apparently when your dog runs away. You go looking for it. So we went looking for it. And I had two of the kids with me, very small at the time. Uh, and we walked across this field and it got darker and darker and darker and darker. Uh, and the darker it got, the tighter they squeezed my hand. There was something about knowing I mean, little did they know, there was nothing I could do when the great big bear came out. Look at the size on me. But the fact that I was there somehow created a reality. The God of heaven is there. And we squeeze his hand. He's there. Right in the midst of it. And that's why, all through the ages... The stronger the pressure, the, the more the persecution, the greater the suffering, the more reality of the presence of God gets made known. It's why over these last two weeks, every story of a transformed life that we've had with the baptism comes out of difficulty and pain and struggle. Because God's there, right in the midst of it. Kerry and I have some friends in ministry. And uh, uh, the wife has been battling cancer for two and a half years probably and died yesterday. It's not from God. And, and all, all I can say about that journey, and it's hard for us to get our heads around it, is that the depth of faith that's been expressed over these last two years The reality of the presence of God is deeper and greater than you might ever imagine. And it's only when you experience it, see it, you get it. Because your head tells you that these people that have served God are now facing this tragedy with children and grandchildren being left same age as us. Facing this tragedy would go, "This, this sucks and it does suck. Absolutely, there's nothing good about it. But I tell you, God is right there. If you want to find him, find the people who are walking with him and suffering. Because he's right there. And if you're suffering today, you need to know that God is right here, there for you now. Just like he is for them. And what I'm about to say, come on mate, you do much better than me. Come on. Come on. What I'm about to say just seems really kind of crass and and kind of, oh, mate. How are you getting on? Yeah? 
I'm getting bored now, you know what? I'm thinking I'm here because they pay me. Why are you still here? I'm honest. It seems really crass, doesn't it, to look out for the good? Because when Helen died yesterday, there's nothing good about that. But honestly, the goodness of God's all over it. And I can't explain that to you, but I can invite you to know it and experience it. Do you reckon? And, and it is an invitation to discover that in the midst of the most painful situations, the most painful moments, the things you can't understand, the things you can't fix, the things you wish you would go away, God is right there. And it's not good, but look out for the good. Because as I look back over watching this family grieve and pray and long for two years, there is goodness all over it. And today doesn't feel very good for them, I'm sure. But in the weeks and months and years that lie ahead, there will be all kinds of goodness that will tumble out of this awful situation. Is the situation good? No. Don't misunderstand anything that we're saying. I, don't, I think God weeps more than we do over the pain and the brokenness. But he's right there in the midst of it. And that's why that verse that's so popular that we sing uh, and has been sung over the years that comes straight out of the Psalms, surely goodness and mercy, God's presence is with me all the days of my life and then I will live in the house of the Lord uh, forever. So lastly, meet the Meet the rescuer. Whatever it is that you're struggling with, whatever you're facing, meet the rescuer. Who watches saving lives at sea? Saving lives at sea. A few of you. Well done. Well done. That's the compulsory viewing in our house because of one of our kids. And there is this moment. It tells the story of life um, boat rescues and stuff and they, they wear little GoPros on their helmet and it. And you get that moment in the story when the person who's in the water, the person who's trapped, the person who needs rescuing, sees the lifeboat come around the corner. Are they rescued yet? No, not quite. But their palpable sense of relief when they see the lifeboat coming because they know that one day one moment soon, they will be home again. And the invitation for us all, whether we be struggling for being a Christian like these guys were in 1 Peter, or whether we're just struggling and life just absolutely sucks right now, is to know that God is closer than you think. And if you look with eyes that are open, you will see the rescuer coming. Because the message of all of today is that Jesus, the rescuer, comes to each one of us so that we can know for certain that one day we'll be home. And that's why they call it good news. Father, you are closer than we think. And we love you. And we love the way that the more your church has been put under pressure, 
greater and stronger and deeper and more real faith in Jesus has become. From people that are simply willing to stand up and be counted to, to countless thousands, hundreds of thousands of people who have died for their faith in Jesus. And something in that moment has burst forth from them a faith that is richer and deeper that cannot humanly be explained. That in the midst of horror and suffering and difficulty, the presence of God is greater, stronger and more amazing than we might ever imagine. I'm asking for all of us here, friends, family, together, that however we suffer, wherever we suffer today, we would turn to the God who weeps with us, who is closer than we think, who promises to bring good even out of awful situations and invites us to meet Jesus, his son, the one who rescues us from the deepest, darkest pit, who rescues us from the furthest place, who rescues us from the greatest pain and hurt. And slowly, but deliberately, as that letter invites us, we praise you for you're a wonderful God that hasn't left us, but come to us. And we invite you to be with us all over again.